we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is produced, the Wajak Noongar people, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hello again, Courtney. Hi, Craig. How are you going? Yeah, not too bad. It's um, all the better for being out on this uh, lovely sunny day. I feel like, is this the first time we've recorded on a weekend? I think it is. Yeah. yeah I'm pretty sure it's always been. Normally we try and do work days. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I think we're both just so busy <laughs> that I feel like this was the, the better time yeah. to kind of do something, which is good. I agree. Yeah. Um, and it's such a nice day just to get out of the house and yeah. into your house. <laughs> where, ah, yes, swapping houses. <laughs> which is where we happen to be. Um, but, yeah, thanks very much for your hospitality. Oh, no worries. <laughs> I had to had to clean up a bit, you know, <laughs> do some vacuuming. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I could be the catalyst for that. <laughs> you always need something to, like, get started with those things, I feel. Like yeah. it's so much easier if someone is coming over and then you're like, all right, I better do all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, on that, our, our puppy, um, he loves just, you know, lying in dirt and rolling around on the grass yeah, and running uh-huh. into the river and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so he just picks stuff up mm-hmm. on his just on his fur and it just gets deposited all over the house. Yeah, so. yeah, we have the same problem because Peppa, our cat, loves to lie in dirt as well and mm. then all of the dirt because she's a medium hair all of the dirt yeah. on the bottom just like comes with her and then she sits in the middle of the carpet and then there's like a giant dirt patch <laughs> yeah <laughs> definitely get that <laughs> i know it's, it's crazy yeah um and we've been we we had intended to actually wash our dog probably about two or three weeks ago yeah and then he sliced his toe between oh, his toes no. Stepping on a bit of glass that he oh, dug up in the that's in the a, that's a bad spot as well. Yeah, Ugh. so we had to put that on ice for a couple of weeks whilst it was healing because yep. obviously if it got wet and it well not get infected in there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, good that's news. Fine. He's he's got a shaved paw, but it's actually healed now oh, pretty that's well. Good. So that's he looks a bit funny, good. but he's he's actually alright. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, yes. No, we don't yeah. have to wash cats, which is a good thing. Yeah, they clean yeah, themselves, they clean don't they? Themselves. Pros yeah. and cons with that, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you, does your cat get dreadlocks? Um, not yet. Okay. But That's I've good. been pretty good with brushing. Yeah. So okay. I, yeah, I try and make sure because she is, she does have quite long fur and it's very thin. Yeah. As well, so I feel like it could get easily matted, but okay. no, she seems to be doing okay, and she's fairly old, so okay. Um, yeah, I have to keep on top of yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, we're just navigating the, the brushing thing with our dog now because yeah. <laughs> he's got two coats, a top coat and a and an undercoat. Oh, uh, yeah. And so we've got this brush that has sort of staggered um, yeah. kind of nozzles on it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, part of them reach underneath yeah. and sort of get that fur away because yeah, otherwise yeah. it just falls out everywhere. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. so great fun. Yeah, fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, but as people listening might have gathered this is a slightly different episode yeah. to usual. Um, we- well, it's becoming a bit of a tradition now, now that we've been running the podcast for, what is this, this is our three, three years? Yeah, Two I think years. this is our third year. Third year. Yeah. So this would be the third time we're doing this now. Might, we might like actually. Tradition. Yeah, I'm trying to think because it was 2019, I think, when the first one went out. Yeah. So the, I think we've passed three years now. Does that Would that be right? 2019, 20. 
Yeah, yeah, we've just passed it. Yeah, yeah. probably in the last month or so. Jeez, we so. didn't even do anything to celebrate. <laughs> Terrible. Just too busy. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. Too busy to celebrate the, 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 the milestone. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> we'll celebrate now. Yes. Um, yeah, so today we're going to be visiting the latest edition of the Ig Nobel Awards. Yeah, yeah. so this, this is done every year um, alongside the Nobel Awards. Yep. And the the Nobel Awards, you know, they celebrate all the, the like, very impressive, truly amazing scientific and, and research work that happens. And the Ig Nobel celebrates all the funny stuff that happens, the, the stuff that makes you laugh and then makes you think afterwards. Mm. Um, so they're usually articles that are pretty entertaining or have an entertaining concept but yeah. also could be applied to, to real-world situations. Yeah. So. And it seems like I think we've each got one today to talk about that do fit that that boat. Yeah, like absolutely. absolutely. They are. I mean, at, at first glance, they kind of seem a bit ridiculous. Yeah. But then when the science is explained and whatnot, um, it feels like they might actually be somewhat useful. Yeah, and I think I think this year, well, I feel like last year and the year before when we've done this, they've been slightly easier topics as yeah. well so so it's been pretty easy to read and it is entertaining whereas i feel like the ones this year at least the ones that we've read um they're still entertaining but there's a lot of science behind it <laughs> there's a lot of research and uh and uh concepts and analysis that has happened yeah. at least in mine that i've chosen <laughs> yeah and, and in mine as well very yeah. technical very technical very medical like biomedical yeah so, yeah um but yeah but a good narrative a good like overall story yeah hopefully but there, there are some other entertaining ones i um before we get into the articles that we have chosen yep. some of them uh one of the ones that I find very funny that I haven't read, but I really should. Um, mm. The Biology Prize, mm -hmm. where the two authors, Garcia Mendez and Machado, uh, studied whether and how constipation affects the mating prospects of scorpions. Okay. Yeah. So I feel important. like that's one to read. That's important. Um, important yeah, work. That yeah. That was definitely important. Yeah. And then there was also one about, uh, I can't seem to find it on my list, but there was one about the uh, differences between luck and skill. I think it was I luck and I skill. I think I saw that one as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I will. Um, yeah, something around people who have success in life oh, often are just lucky rather than skillful or something. Yeah, yeah. talent versus luck, the role yeah. of randomness in success and for failure. And I read the abstract for that one and they basically said there's no difference between talent and luck. Like okay. you can get lucky or you can be talented and you'll have the same outcome. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So some very interesting topics on there. Um, but we've chosen yeah. one each yeah, to we talk have. about today. Yeah. So um, I'd like to invite you to maybe share yours if, if you're I, happy to. I will. I'll yeah. go first. So um, this year in the, I think it was medical section, they actually had one that was related to cardiology. So, of course, that's the one that I chose for, yeah. for our conversation today. And uh, this article is by... I'm going to butcher this name like I have for the past uh, three episodes relating to this. Um, this one is by Prochazkova. Okay. Assuming like an Eastern European yes. name. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, and it's titled Physiological Synchrony is Associated with Attraction in the Blind Date Setting. Okay. And so you're probably thinking, how is this related to cardiology? What's physiological synchrony? Uh-huh. <laughs> I will I will get to that. Right. They they talk about <laughs> different kinds of synchrony and mm. it's a very interesting uh, uh, kind of concept, but I will get to that. So the idea of this paper is to look at how people interact in a blind date setting and whether you can emit, you can measure attraction um, and and or arousal. Okay. Um, and there's two different concepts that they talk about. In a blind date setting and when you're meeting someone for the first time, there's, there's two areas. There's uh, the physiological synchrony and there's also mimicry. So when you meet someone, the, the mimicry part of it is if you meet someone and you think they're like pretty cool or whatever, you might uh, look at them a bit more. You might face different ways. You change mm-hmm. your behaviour. Um, you might smile more. Mm-hmm. You might, you know, blush. Yeah, pupils <laughs> get dilated, those kinds of things. Um, and some of those things you can control and it reflects how that conversation is going. Okay. So so if you start to smile more, the person that you've just met is probably also going to start smiling more. And so that's part of the, the mimicry when you meet someone for the first time. So you're mimicking their behaviour. You're mimicking their behaviour yeah. and it makes everyone more comfortable in a new new setting. Okay. Um, the physiological synchrony is apparently, or what these authors have hypothesised, is that things like your heart rate and skin conductance, which is um, like the level of sweat on your skin, basically. Okay. How, yeah. Well, yeah. That's the way I think of it. Um yeah. Uh, whether those two align in certain situations with this new person. Right. So if you if you look at them um, for, you know, five minutes or whatever and you have a conversation and you feel this mutual attraction or this gut feeling, it could be because your heart rate is synchronising with okay. each other. Okay. Yeah. And so this kind of is a part of a way to describe the gut feeling that you get about people. So I don't know if you've ever met someone going like, oh, yeah, like they're pretty cool, like, oh, God, they're awful. Um, And it's just like this gut feeling you have and you don't really know why you feel that way. It could be to do with this physiological synchrony that's happening. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. So you can meet someone who's obviously very nervous, maybe their heart's racing and they're sweaty and a bit clammy and whatever, and you almost in sympathy, start doing the same thing. That's right. Okay. Yes, yes. So yeah. it, this this kind of concept doesn't just apply to attraction. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's kind of good and bad situations where this can occur. But what these authors were looking at were mm. in a blind date setting. Okay. So essentially they got a bunch of people, boys and girls, um, in a real-world situation. So they went to a festival. Um, and they set up this like romantic cabin and <laughs> they, they got participants, they got a male and female, um, uh, obviously both heterosexual, Ugh. Yeah. what a mouthful. You can um, just say hetero if you want. Yeah, no, yeah I, I could say that, but yeah. Um, <laughs> both straight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then uh, they would enter this cabin, mm-hmm. they would have uh, a certain amount of time to like see each other without talking. Okay. And then they would have like a few minutes to either talk to each other or have nonverbal 
two minutes together mm-hmm. um, and then they'd switch it around so then you'd, after that you'd have two minutes verbal mm-hmm. or non-verbal depending on which one you did first. Um, and then throughout each of those situations they rated the attractiveness okay. of the person and then they also measured heart rate, skin conductance and also all of the, the mimicry behaviours, so gaze, um, uh, how much he smiled, yep. uh, all those kind of things as well. And okay. so they, that's that's how they tried to measure this association between physiological synchrony and mm. attraction. Sounds interesting. Yeah. 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 Very interesting. Um, <laughs> interesting that they chose a festival as well. Well, you think that some, I'm assuming a music festival, is that the implication? So, so all I heard was, or all I read was festival. Okay. So it could be like a, a wine festival. Because I'm wondering if, for example, at a wine festival or a music festival, people might be there potentially to be having a drink and possibly taking drugs or whatever to enjoy themselves. Yeah. So I wonder if that had an impact on their results because that would affect people's heart rates and their sweat behaviour. Yeah, you're onto it. I I have no idea if um, if that that was anything Mm. that influenced it. They didn't talk about it at least, so maybe they should have. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Could be interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. So, all right. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the main main content of, yeah. of the the research. Yeah. Um, and I feel like they did find some pretty interesting things. So, there's a couple of questions that they specifically asked uh, during the the process of um, analyses of the data that they collected. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Oh, boy. The first thing that they asked was, was there actually evidence of uh, synchrony? Okay. Right? So they needed to say that, yes, there actually is synchrony between these two things, um, between the, the people uh, going on this blind date, so they could actually show that if there there are any mm-hmm. associations. So um, what they predicted was that, the dating partners would synchronise on multiple levels, so on the physiology and on the mimicry we were talking about as well, so um, mm-hmm. hand movements, facial movements um, and gaze movements and also like how long you look at someone's face for. Okay. Um, so they they recorded all of those things to try and provide evidence that there was actually synchrony in terms of the physiological processes there. Yeah. Video recorded and then analysed or how was? Uh, yes. So they did uh, video recording. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, they had like a whole bunch of different techniques that they had. They okay. were measuring so many different things. <laughs> yeah, so they had like they had uh, questionnaires for multiple different things, including attraction. Okay. Um, and then they were measuring heart rate, so they had a little heart rate monitor on. Um, uh, skin conductance, so they had like... Uh, the, like pads on index finger and, and yep. ring finger um, to measure that. And then they were all videoed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had like, I think it was like AI techniques to yep. follow gazes and so, movements and patterns. and. Okay. So so attraction was from the perspective of the individual. They said, oh, I am attracted to that person or I'm that's not. That's right. And then yes. I, so they measured that. Okay. Yeah. So the yep. attraction was measured on just a scale of zero to 10. Yep. Um, and interestingly, uh, let me find my stat here. 
so at the end of the date, uh, almost half of the participants wanted to go on another date with that mm-hmm. person. So these people were choos- chosen randomly. Um, but, yeah, 44% wanted to go on another date. Um, and when we look at the proportion of males and females, it was 34% males and 55% males. Uh, okay. 4- 34% females. 53% males. Right, so okay. females were less likely to want to go on a date afterwards, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, but out of that whole cohort, only 17% of the couples actually matched and mutually wanted to go on a date. 17%. 17%. Okay. So just under one in five. Yeah. Yes. Okay. the evidence of synchrony what they found through lots of different kinds of analyses i'm not going to get into the the types of tests they did but Mm -hmm. essentially there was a whole bunch of correlations that they had to do and um then like remix the partners with different people uh, to try and get a baseline of attractiveness and of um these physiological behaviours to see if there was a significant difference. Um, But they found evidence of synchrony for smiling, laughing, head nods, hand gestures, face-to-face gaze, heart rate, and skin conductance. Mm -hmm. However, um, there was no significant evidence for synchrony between gazes at the partner's body and face touching. Um, So they were they were kind of discounted from the models of attraction that they were looking at. Okay. Yeah. So they found evidence that heart rate and skin conductance actually does synchronise, which is, Mm. in my mind, pretty crazy. Okay. Like, I don't know how that works. (laughs) Does it (laughs) synchronise regardless of attraction or is is, is that in the ones where they both reported that they were attracted? So this is in the whole cohort. So So regardless. Regardless. Okay. There was just evidence that when you met the person. Yep. There was some level of synchronization. So syncing with yeah. each other, regardless of if you found them attractive or not. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. That's interesting. So <clears throat> then um, they looked at the strength of that synchrony and whether that predicts attraction. Mm-hmm. So this is where they looked at how many wanted to go on another date at the end. And they also looked at the pattern over time of the level of attraction, depending on um, which stage of the date you were at. So okay. whether you're at like the the five seconds you looked at the person, your verbal conversation or your non, non-verbal situation. Yeah. Yeah, non-verbal. Non-verbal communication. Or yeah, like, right, I guess, okay. yeah. They Basically, they just had to look at each other for two minutes. It's, yeah, weird, very okay. weird blind date. Yeah. Um, Sounds like some I've been on there. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> not, not recently. Just not in case recently. My wife's yeah. 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 <laughs> Hopefully not. Not with your wife. <laughs> no, definitely not. Although I've had some some silences with uh, my partner before. Sometimes it just happens that way once you've been in a long term relationship. I yeah. feel. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, because of all of the different things they're looking at, um, and also because there was a, a high there was a, a bit of a difference between the percent of females and percent of males that wanted to go on a date. They had to kind of look at some interactions and things. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I 
thought was interesting was that their their model showed a main effect of gender and revealed that males were more attracted to females than females were to males overall. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's probably common knowledge. Or that at least it, fe- it feels that way, yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's good that they found that because mm-hmm. it kind of adds to the validity of the, the results, I feel. Um, so, yes. But what these authors really found was that attraction was really only predicted by the physiological synchrony between the partners. So the the mimicry of behaviours didn't actually come into play when it came to attraction. Mm -hmm. It was actually the heart rate and skin conductance were the only things that could predict whether someone was um, more attracted or less attracted to their partner, Mm. which I feel is quite an interesting result because... Mm. I guess as a female, um, you know, it might be something that you've kind of felt for a long time, but you, you, when you meet someone new, it's almost like a, it, it's becomes more accepting to follow their behaviors and things like that. Um, and that can easily be misunderstood as, uh, flirting or, right. or things like that. So I feel like, uh, your, your gaze and smiling and, and laughing is just kind of social yeah. behavior. Look, and from a male perspective, I'd say, yeah, there's lots of guys who would interpret that as people being interested in them romantically or whatever. And this study is basically saying that none of that really equates to uh, whether they're attracted to the other person or not. Okay. So we have a problem then. So we have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) So really, when we go on a first date, we need to measure heart rates. We need to measure skin conductance. um, And then we can see whether someone's attracted to you or not. (laughs) Well, surely, surely, like the technology, like Tinder and these sorts of things, where people are organising dates, can incorporate that into the app in some way, right? Yeah. Give oh, it a little sensor, surely. a little monitor to yeah. plug in. Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's lots of new apps that um, definitely measure heart rate, yeah. um, particularly for for atrial fibrillation, just because um, that becomes an easy way to to mm-hmm. figure out whether you have an arrhythmia or not right. um, if you can measure it when you're feeling it. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I think um, Apple phones have that automatically mm-hmm. in their phone now yeah. okay yeah yeah so we can measure like love sickness yeah and that sort of thing <laughs> yeah okay yeah but that that kind of brings up a really good point is that with all the apps and things that exist now you're not having that face-to-face interaction mm. so but people are still um having some level of attractiveness on these apps or they become attracted to people even through just um, messaging or the photos. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, this study kind of points out that the photos are probably one of the bigger things here right. that it increased that level of attractiveness okay. um, because you need to see the person. Um, but then all the conversations that you've had on Tinder or Grindr or wherever mm. doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to find them attractive in person. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you can't really correlate that. Well, you also hear stories, you know, about people putting up photos that might be quite old or not reflective of what they look like now or, you yeah, know, Yeah, very true. Whatever. Um, so, yeah, I can see how you really need to meet someone in person before you, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just the way someone carries themselves maybe, yeah. you know, physically could 
be attractive or yeah. unattractive. But also it might not be because yeah. you, you might not be um, physiologically synchronised. <laughs> synchronised. <laughs> you might not be sweating buckets. That's or right. <laughs> having a heart rate through the roof. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, so the other part of this study, they also looked at the association between um, attraction and arousal okay. um, because a lot of uh, research suggests that arousal is basically only to do with attraction. Like right. you get aroused when you're attracted to someone. Okay. Um, and this study really confirms that attraction is not the sole predictor of arousal. So they, they kind of, uh, it, within their surveys that they did throughout mm-hmm. the, the different time points of the blind date, they included things uh, like um, are you aroused by this person? Um, okay. So they, they measured arousal and they measured attraction. Yeah. Um, and there was not really a, a strong prediction um, association not between the two. Yeah, okay. So uh, there's other things that are influencing arousal mm-hmm. um, and it's not just attraction. Mm. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything else to, to say about that study, which is which is pretty interesting? Uh, let me see. I have the article in front of me. So, um, but did it, did it say what journal this was in? I'm not sure if you said that. Oh, no, I didn't. Um, nature, human behavior. Okay. So it's a, na- it's, it's one a, of the, it's a nature. The nature. Yeah. See, that's the thing that I find fascinating about some of these ignoble prizes is that some of this, some, you know, somewhat wacky research is actually published in, you know, real pretty high up journals. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It is. It's quite a... Yeah, I think a lot. Most people would know nature. I feel at yeah. least at least if you're it, in research, yeah. isn't it the highest nature. impact factor of any journal? I believe journal? so. Yeah. yeah. And so that's this is one of their sub sort of journals, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So like that's the, under the umbrella. Yeah, a lot of journals kind of have their a lot of little tiny journals that kind yeah, of branch off of them, like so. more focused on nuance. Yeah, like exactly. The Lancet has like a public health journal and a psychiatry journal and a yeah. I think an adolescent health journal or something. Yeah. 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 So I guess the 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 one last thing that this study kind of points out is they've only looked at associations, mm-hmm. um, so they haven't been able to look at the direction yeah, um, okay. of that relationship. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I guess that they point out is the difference between being in a good situation and a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been some prior research that suggests that this synchrony happens in a bad situation as well. So if you look at long-term partners and when they have an argument, mm. they're also in sync. Okay. So what we don't know is why that kind of happens. We, we know that it exists, this mm-hmm. association. We know it's there. Um, we know it happens in good situations. We know it happens in bad situations. But why? Okay. And it's it potentially is to do with something about uh, human communication and society generally where humans mm-hmm. like to be in contact with each other mm-hmm. and we like to be um, supportive of each other and we want to feel what the community is feeling. Yep. So it's something about that community connection overall. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It goes back into the history of humans. <laughs> 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 All about this blind date. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I thought it was a very interesting study that... um. Measured yeah. a lot of cool things in a very interesting way. <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I think it actually could have real-world relevance, you know. Yeah. 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 I can, I can see the the app makers, you know, 
their ears pricking up and, oh, and thinking, yeah. how do we use this to our advantage? Yeah, yeah, and then they can have their, like, success rate of marriages go up <laughs> or increase, you know. Oh, so yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, mad. Okay. Well, I'd be interested to see if that spawns any further research. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I have a feeling it will. It seems like there's been a lot of prior research in this, these associations, um, not just in the, the blind date setting. Yeah. Um, yeah, there seems to be a lot of evidence to back this up. So, mm. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, very good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much for that. Hi, thank detailed, you. Detailed um, analysis of <laughs> yeah. that. Hi, we hope you're enjoying this episode. If you have a minute and enjoy the conversations we bring you, it'd be great if you could go to wherever you get your podcasts and give us a quick rating and review. Not only do we love to get your feedback, but it also helps other people to find us. Thank you. And now back to the show. So what, what article did you choose? So I jumped in the deep end here because <laughs> I tend to, to research things like mental health and um, drug and alcohol use and yeah. social determinants of health. Yeah. I actually feel like we probably should have swapped articles. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I thought I would go on a totally different tangent and look at something involving cancer treatment. Yeah which I know nothing about. Interesting. All right. Um, but as you'll, it'll probably become apparent why I picked this one once you hear the title, <laughs> um, which is ice cream used as cryotherapy during high-dose melphalan conditioning reduces oral mucositis after autologous hematopoetic. No, I'm going to try that word slowly. Hematopoetic. 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 Sure. Stem cell transplantation, which has an acronym usefully, okay, which is well, AHSCT. So I'm going to refer to autologous <laughs> hematopoietic stem cell <laughs> transplantation as AHSCT. Okay, so the only thing I really got out of that is it's something to do with ice cream. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to obviously have to explain oh, some of these is- terms and, and some of the background around treatment for cancer yeah, <laughs> because I think it's kind of yeah, integral to the story here. Yeah, sounds good. Um, but, yeah, basically ice cream. and the, and the, the <laughs> That's pro- all we need to know, ice yeah. cream. <laughs> so obviously ice cream jumped off the page at me when I saw that one mm-hmm. and I thought that's brilliant. So basically they're using ice cream in cancer treatment. Yeah, well, that's okay. Well, that's what they're testing is, to see if it helps. Is the patient eating the ice cream? Yes. Okay, well, yeah. that, that's a positive step. Yeah. I like that. During the treatment, right? During the treatment, okay. So... You've, you've probably seen on TV, in the movies, or if you've been unlucky enough to have a relative or a friend or someone go through chemotherapy, you've probably seen where they have to sit and get a transfusion, you know, for a certain drug, mm-hmm. um, you know, over a course of uh, however many weeks or whatever, um, you know, as part of the radiotherapy or the chemotherapy or whatever. And so that's what this relates to is a certain type of chemotherapy. Okay. Um, and so basically this... This part of the therapy, this AHSCT, um, is for things like multiple myeloma, which is a sort of form of bone marrow cancer, mm-hmm. um, and also a thing called amyloidosis, which is a buildup of amyloid proteins in the heart, kids, kidneys, liver, okay. and other organs. Yep. Um, systemic sclerosis, which is a hardening or a tightening of the skin or the connective tissues. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a thing called Palms syndrome which okay. is a, a rare blood disorder which damages the nerves and affects other body parts, and it can cause numbness and tingling often in the legs, and then sometimes it spreads to the hands. Yep. Sounds a little bit like multiple sclerosis. It does a bit, yeah. yeah. So, 
Yeah, so it's the, these sorts of conditions that apparently you can treat with this um, AHSCT. Um, so, yeah, the ice cream is sort of happening alongside the AHSCT. Mm-hmm. Um, and what they're trying to do is present prevent a side effect from this treatment, which is called oral mucositis, which is a bit easier to pronounce yeah. than <laughs> some of the previous things. And so that's basically where tissue swells or gets irritated around the mouth um, and it causes can cause mouth pain, sores, infection and bleeding and it can actually uh, affect how people eat. And right. prevent them from and, eating. And is the side effect related to like mouth stuff because the treatment is near the mouth? So, so it can this this treatment can actually be administered orally or through oh, a vein. Okay, yeah. But I think I think it doesn't matter if it's going in through your mouth or through your vein. I think it can it impact happens. your mouth anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So the treat the the dr- I think the drug which is in question here um, is called. Melphalan. Yeah. So that's spelled M-E-L-P-H-A-L-A-N for any oncologists out there who yeah. think I'm butchering <laughs> this and want to get in touch and give me a hard time. <laughs> Please do. Um, I'd love to. I'd love to hear, get a get yeah. an angry email. You didn't so, pronounce this right. <laughs> so it could be melphalan. I, yeah. I don't know. Melphalan. Melphalan. I, I feel like melphalan. Melphalan. Yeah, we'll guess. go for it. Yep. Um, so anyway, one of the so yeah, basically taken orally or by injecting into the vein. Uh, and that's when you often see people sitting there in a chair mm-hmm. getting a, an infusion of some sort. Um, so, yeah, this can cause um, nausea and also bone marrow suppression as side effects, um, and it, it often takes a long time to infuse during therapy, which is why you have those people sitting for hours sometimes, you know, when they're getting a treatment done. Yep. Um, so one of the prevention strategies for this um, oral mucositis uh, is what they call cryoprotection. So that's a prolonged use of ah. ice chips or ice cubes uh, in the mouth. But in the past, they found that using ice chips or ice cubes is, is you know, quite uncomfortable for some people because it's yeah. such a long period of time that they've got to do it for. Yeah. Um, but the, the theory behind it or the science behind why they try and do that with patients is uh, a thing called vasoconstriction. Um, so it stops inflammation in the oral cavity that and reduces the contact of these toxic drugs mm-hmm. um, with the mucus layer inside the mouth. That makes sense because, yeah, if you can constrict all the blood flow, yeah. then, yeah, there's less tissue that has that. Getting that, exposed. Like, and, getting exposed. Yeah, and so it does yeah, work. It interesting. Does, it works well during this melphalan infusion. Yeah. Um, but obviously long infusion times mean that some patients tire of the coldness of ice chips. It's not overly pleasant, and they often stop using them before their infusion ends. Yeah, so they okay. don't get the full benefit of it because they can't tolerate the, yeah. um, you know, the ice chips. Um, so what some bright spark thought is why don't we try and use ice cream mm. instead of ice chips, which might be a little more palatable, <laughs> might be a bit more enjoyable. Yeah. Um, and so it's it started out mostly in paediatric medicine because – trying to get kids to sit still and to, you know, take this uh, prevention I treatment. feel like a lot of parents just offer ice cream as a way to get kids to bit sit still. Bit of a bribe. Still. Yeah. Anyone who's had their tonsils out would have yeah. had the jelly and ice cream. Absolutely. Um, I haven't had my tonsils out. Oh, you're missing out. I did feel like I was missing out as yeah. a kid. But now, obviously now I don't feel like I've missed out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, for people who like ice cream, you know, this is, which I think think is probably the majority of the population. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, this seems like on the surface a pretty good idea, mm. a pretty good development. Um, 
All right, so what this study did look to do was to compare people who did and didn't receive ice cream cryotherapy to see if they got that that side effect, oral mucositis, um, as a result of the chemo treatment that they were getting. And so key elements of this study are, excuse me, that the ice cream is commercially available from the hospital canteen. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was perceived either if the patient requested it or if the doctor treated them, requested it on their behalf. They were given three ice cream doses that were chosen by the patient. Right, three so, ice creams. <laughs> yeah, three doses. Um, so it was a choice of either popsicles, okay. uh, like a paddle pop, I'm yeah. guessing, or another form that had dairy in it, another dairy product yeah. type ice cream. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like uh, the ice-based ones. It'd have, have to be dairy. I think it was dairy. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so, so popsicles, actually popsicles I don't know if they have dairy in. I think um, it depends on whether you ask Americans or not. Yeah, okay. I feel like popsicles in America are the ice-based ones. But yeah. I would call a popsicle like a splits, like one of the splits. Or and that's a mix, pop, isn't or, it? And that's a mix, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, okay. So it's basically a, a frozen dessert Yeah. <laughs> on a stick, yeah? yeah. <laughs> that could be could be creamy, could be, you know, a, a watery sort yeah. of sweet thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, and then it, it could be dairy, it could be non-dairy by the looks of it from the way they've written this here. Now, the patients were instructed to eat slowly, uh, thawing the ice cream in the mouth. <laughs> and then all patients received the same oral care during this time, which was a, a, a series of mouth rinses with a couple of different chemicals. But it was that was standard across all patients. So they were rinsing their mouth, you know, constantly. Um, so there were 74 patients in this study. Um, now, 28 of those patients ended up with this um, I keep forgetting the, the oral term mucositis. oral mucositis. <laughs> so tw- 28 out of the 74 had oral mucositis after this therapy. We can just call it mucus mouth if you want. Mucus mouth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so basically there was a lot more people in the in out of those 74 that had ice cream compared to those that didn't. So 52 out of the 74 had ice cream, 22 didn't. Okay. Um, so 15 out of the 52 developed, um, that had the ice cream develop this mucous mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's 29%. Um, whereas 13 out of the 22 in the group that didn't have the ice cream developed the mucous mouth. And that's equated to 59% of that yeah. group. So a much higher proportion. So 29% versus 59%. Interesting. Now, the I, I don't know how robust the statistics for this study were because they actually ran a linear regression, which I thought was weird considering the outcome. And I did, obviously, but the sort of, sort of paper that it was meant that it it really didn't go into a lot of detail around the stats. Oh, okay. I could see maybe like if the outcome was the amount of mucus in the mouth yeah, <laughs> or something like that. because it seems to be a binary outcome. Yes, yeah. they did get it or no, they didn't get it. So it seems almost like a case control type study. Yeah. Um, Maybe do a logistic regression or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So because they reported um, their counts, yeah. so, you know, exposed, non-exposed, outcome, no outcome, mm-hmm. I was able to do the two-by-two two ah. table. <laughs> and so I, and I, I, my, yeah, for those who are listening who aren't into statistics, I apologise, but... <laughs> 
my preference usually is to use risk ratios rather than odds ratios. Yeah. Just because I think they're easy to interpret because what is an odds ratio? And if you ask someone that, you'll get, you know, 10 That's different answers. answers. Yep. Whereas a risk ratio tells you how whether your risk is, you know, reduced and by what percentage. Anyway, I did both. I did odds ratios and risk ratios yep. for those out there who care. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the linear regression, they didn't um, – publish the coefficients or anything like that. I think you can request them from the authors. Yeah. And I forgot to say that this study was led by Jasinski and friends, mm -hmm. and it's in the journal Scientific Reports. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yeah, they basically they got a p-value of 0 0.002, which is significant uh, for their linear regression. And then when I uh, had, did a hand calculation, the risk ratio was 0 0.49, so that's basically a half you're at half the risk of getting the outcome if you were in the group that had the ice cream mm -hmm. compared to the group that didn't have the ice cream. So, yeah, a 49% yeah, chance compared to the other people, um, a p-value of um, 0.015, so yep. significant. And the odds ratio was 0.28, which meant you had a 72% reduction re re odds. reduced odds, yeah, which who knows what that actually means. But, <laughs> but that, that's one of the reasons why I prefer risk ratios to odd ratios because yeah. I feel like odds ratios, over they overestimate the effect often. Oh, yeah, odds ratios do. They inflate yeah. the difference between the groups. Yeah. Whereas I feel like the risk ratio, we're looking at about half the risk. Yeah. But there, so there are some instances where odds ratios are or should be the ones that are reported. But yeah. reality is in most studies, your risk ratios and your odd ratios are yeah. relatively similar. Yeah. Um, but odds but ratios will overestimate. I think when you have really small yeah. sample sizes or really big sample sizes, you, you often find there's quite a big difference between the yeah, two. Yeah. So I, I tend to use prevalence ratios and risk ratios if yeah. I can, um, just because I find them easy to interpret. But, yeah, anyway, so you can see there the odds ratio obviously is quite different to the risk ratio. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so interestingly, ice cream has a therapeutic benefit. Yeah. Now, we've often... We've, we've often thought that um, anyone who's, who's watched Friends over the years... Anyone that's had ice cream. ...will know that, that it's often used medicinally when people are suffering breakups. Yep, and yep. That sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, so here's hard, hard evidence that it actually could work in cancer treatment as well. Okay. So I, my question is, uh, did the ice cream fully replace the ice chips? Yeah, so that's one of the limitations of this study. Um, so, yeah, in this study, yes... There was no ice chips administered. Okay. So the people were only given ice cream, the ones in the ice cream group. Yeah. They weren't compared to a group that had ice chips. Okay. That's interesting. So, yeah. <coughs> Particularly because, um, like, if ice chips is the standard treatment. Yeah. As, or, like, standard extra additional treatment. Yeah. Uh, that's that's interesting. Yeah. So that's one of the things the authors say in their discussion is that, Obviously, in future, they need to do a study where there's three arms. Yeah. There's the no um, cryotherapy of any kind. Yeah. There's the ice cryotherapy, and then there's the ice cream cryotherapy <laughs> to see. Yeah. One, I guess the interesting things to, to know would be, um, do people complete the treatment, mm -hmm. you know, if they're using ice cream more than if they're using ice chips? Yeah. Do, they, do they persist with it until the end of their infusion? Um, and, it, and then also if there's any difference in the... Um, mucus mouth between yeah. the ice cream group and the ice chip group because yeah. we know that the ice cream group clearly um, results in less mucus mouth than no yeah. ice cream group. Um, but 
is there a difference between the ice cream and ice chips? Yeah, yeah. And, and I wonder whether the ice chips are given in three doses as well um, or whether it's applied throughout the whole I think it would be the yeah, whole day. Yeah, re- reading between yeah. the lines, they didn't really talk about it explicitly, but it sounds like the ice chips were made available to the patient for their whole treatment. Yeah. But they just ceased them because they didn't like the sensation and yeah. they weren't getting, maybe they weren't getting enough of a benefit out of it in terms of yeah. something tasting good because it just it tastes like water, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you just get a really numb mouth and nothing yeah. sweet to savour. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe... Ice cream will, will help people to tolerate the coldness for a bit longer. I reckon I reckon there's also some benefit as to like being happier as mm-hmm. well, particularly when you're going through cancer treatment. Yep. Um, you know, I, I feel like your your mood and the levels of dopamine and, and all that kind of stuff would also influence how much better you feel after things like that. Yeah. And also potentially even your general outcomes after yeah. things like that. So, like, I know, for example, depression is a risk factor for heart disease. Right. Um, it's, a, it's a small one, but it's mm-hmm. it's a mood-effective disease mm-hmm. that's affecting physical being. Yeah. So I wonder whether changing things where, like, you're having ice cream, which makes, in general, people happier, whether that would influence. Yeah. So I guess, outcome. yeah, I guess you and, – and there's probably uh, people in the, in the cancer treatment – research space that I, I know for a fact that they do have a look at um, the experiences of people mm. going through treatment and also their families as well, you know, who, who've got a family member going through treatment to see, you know, how they fare mm. and what the predictors of people having a good or a bad experience and a good or a bad outcome m- may be. Mm. And this potentially could be one of those yeah. factors during the actual administration of the treatment, not sort of the time period, but the actual sitting in the chair, yep. getting the infusion or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, whether this is something that might make people more comfortable and give them a slightly better outlook on. And honestly, I feel like cancer patients just should be able to get whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they want ice cream while they're getting treatment, I feel like they should be able to get ice cream. <laughs> Especially if it's going to reduce their risk of getting a mucus Absolutely, problem. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no one wants mucus in their mouth. No. <laughs> like a, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so oral mucositis. Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously we need mucus, but we don't need tissue swelling and irritation of the mouth. No, no, and it's not fun either. <laughs> no. No. I can imagine that's really unpleasant, and I'm sure it's one of many things that people having cancer treatment have to put up with, you know, just some of those drugs are so toxic because mm. they have to be, you know, yeah. in order to fight the cancer that, yeah, their bodies react in all sorts of, um, weird and funky ways. Yeah, weird ways, including having a swollen mouth, you know. Yep. So, yeah, so that one really at first um, interested me for different reasons, mm-hmm. just because I saw the word ice cream. Yep. <laughs> but then once I actually s- sat down and read the study, I thought this is actually something that could be, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the word. Beneficial. Beneficial, yeah. yeah. Could be transformative. Yeah. You know, for for individuals going through chemotherapy, mm-hmm. this particular type of chemotherapy. Um, so, yeah, could have a real-world impact. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a shame about their stats, though. And I actually mm. think this is this is uh, somewhat interesting as well because um, so yours is from Scientific Reports, and yep. I don't know what the impact factor is of that, yeah, and I don't know what the impact factor of nature-human behaviour is as well, but I have yep. a feeling that nature human behavior is probably a little higher in terms of impact factor than scientific reports. Yeah. Um, and in, yeah, in the, the nature human behavior paper with the physiological um, synchrony, 
all of their stats and analyses and and outcomes and extrapolation of things was very clear yeah and made a lot of sense mm-hmm. um and i didn't really find anything in terms of their stats that seemed out of the ordinary um okay but both of them have won this ignoble prize yeah so i can just, i've just done a little bit of Google stalking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so nature human behavior has an impact factor of 24. Oh, my God. And scientific reports is just under five. So, yeah, okay, quite yes. a big difference. Yeah, so I had I had a feeling just, just by the way that it's been written and yeah. and presented and it's, it's not a reflection on the journals or the authors or the content. I just mm. thought it was an interesting thing. And it also shows that um, I feel like the Ig Nobel Prizes – really allow for any research article yeah. from any journal, which is exactly the way it should be. It's um, supposed to be, yeah. Unbiased. In unbiased, a bit tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. In, yeah, but also, uh, I guess, acknowledging that um, interesting but, you know, left-field research could come from anywhere. anywhere. Absolutely. And it seems that in the Ignoble Awards there's, greater diversity in the entrance, like the countries Definitely. that they come from. There's a lot more people from developing world, um, developing countries. Yeah. <laughs> developing worlds. Um, we have a lot of entries from Mars. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, a lot, a lot of people from developing countries yeah. um, that have their research featured in the Ig Nobel Awards, which I think is great. Yeah, absolutely. That's not always the case. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, other notable ones, I think you mentioned a couple when um, earlier. Um, there was one about cats and about the – they did some audiology kind of analysis on how they purr and oh, the noises they make. Yeah, and that, and, yeah, okay. Yeah, so that was interesting. Yeah. Um, but I think that might have been from previous year. Um, there was one about the art history of enemas. I saw um, that as well. The, the, the Mayan, Mayan, yeah, the Mayan culture. Yeah, yep. down in South America. <laughs> Yeah, I saw um, that about yeah. um, how they might have been using animus for taking drugs, basically. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Mm. For the absorption and yeah. that sort of thing, because apparently some of these drugs that they may have taken thousands of years ago may have made them throw up if they try to swallow them. So, Ah, yeah. that's interesting. Yeah. What on earth were they trying to take? <laughs> I, yeah, it's hard to say. There was some, one was like a water lily. That was depicted. Oh, okay. in, so basically the, the long and short of that study was that they analysed artworks from yeah. the Mayan period. And they're very, is, very entertaining artworks. That, that yeah, thousands of years ago. people's butts, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they could see depictions of certain substances yeah. or the, the raw ingredients. And one of them I think was a water lily. And yeah. no one knows to this day why you'd be sticking a water lily up your bum. So. Yeah. Well, maybe it fits under that, that field of um, uh, well-being. Mm. That we're currently going through now, where everyone wants to have you know well-being centers and coffee enemas, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I wonder whether it's the same as that, like yeah, people equivalent go on cleanses and you know stuff. that sort of thing. So I feel like that's an entirely different conversation. I have yeah. opinions on those things. <laughs> yeah. So the, and one one other notable one, which I didn't really look at in too much detail, but it was looking at um, uh, cinemas. And people who go to cinemas and whether they, by the, the substances that people excrete through their skin and their, the mm. rest of their body, um, whether you could work out if it was like what, what age rating the movie was. Ah, yeah. int- you know what? That's probably related to 
the study I was talking about. Probably is a bit, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because, like, kids wouldn't understand mm. more of, like, the sexual humorous yeah, violence part and, and sexual violence stuff and things. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, whereas us adults would just be like, oh, my goodness, yeah. <laughs> those things. So, so yeah, that was an interesting one as yeah. well. Um, but, yeah, too, too many to, to cover in one go. Yeah, there's he- there's heaps of them. But um, yeah. if you just look up Ig Nobel Awards, you can find all the articles there. Yeah. Some of them might be behind a paywall, unfortunately. Okay. However, if you want to have a read of them, we have access to them, so we can probably yeah. download them and send them to you, yeah. if, you if you need that. Um, but if, you, yeah, if you're a Fair. student or a staff member, you probably can That's access right. them. Strictly for educational use. That's that's right, absolutely. But yes, if you want pictures of uh, of uh, uh, old old cultures sticking things up their butts, <laughs> let us know. Yeah, send us an email. Yeah, and we'll come straight back to you. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, that's been uh, enlightening. Yeah. And I think we've both learned something that we clearly didn't know before. I think so. Yeah. So it's very good. Onwards and upwards. Um, but yeah, thanks very much. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and if people do want to get in touch with us. Yes, so we have multiple methods of communication available, um, including uh, Twitter. So you can tweet us at health means what. You can email us, email us meaningofhealth at outlook.com. You can contact us on Facebook if you search for Meaning of Health podcast. Uh, and that's it. I think that's it for now. That's it. Yeah. We are looking at getting an Instagram. I, I think feel. Instagram would be the yeah. next. Unsure about TikTok. Project. Yeah. We'll, yeah, yeah. we'll take TikTok on notice and we'll see Yeah. if we can make that work. We'll see. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Do, do we want young people listening to this? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> do we? Yeah. Yeah, all right. We all want, right. Fair want, enough. We want people of all ages. Yeah. That, yeah. All right. Understandable. <laughs> <laughs> we'll spread the good word. Yes. So, yeah. yes, please contact us. Uh, we'd love to hear from anyone from our, our audience, um, any feedback, any comments, any potential guests you'd like uh, us to interview and have a chat with. We would love to know. Yeah, excellent. Well, and on that note, uh, we'll be back, I think, with another episode with a guest uh, next. But we hope you've enjoyed this one. And and we'll see you next one. Yeah, we look forward to speaking to you again soon. The Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the Education Enhancement Unit and the School of Population and Global Health at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with editing, mixing and additional music by Craig Cumming.